Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. I have a very special guest today, a journalist, Mary Jo McConaughey, who's one of the most prominent Catholic journalists in America. In the 80s, she's written several books about, uh, and I should say you were a legendary war correspondent covering the Central American insurgencies. You've written The Tango War, The Struggle for the Hearts, Minds, and Riches of Latin America during World War II, uh, and also Maya Rhodes, One Woman's Journey Among the People of the Rainforest, which you won multiple book awards for, so congratulations. But I'm very interested in your most recent book, Playing God, American Catholic Bishops and the Far Right. And all I can say is there's a lot of very valuable, important information I believe the public needs to understand, including in this current moment of ethics of the Supreme Court justices, uh, majority of which are Catholics. And I think a lot of my listeners don't understand the nature of the schism that seems to have cropped up with the far right and our current pope who is a moderate force trying to reform things. Um, so with that introduction, uh, Mary Jo, what, how did you decide to do this book, Playing God, American uh, Catholic Bishops and the Far Right, please? Well, thank you, Steve, for featuring the book and for having me on for this conversation. How did I come to write it? January 6th. I, like millions of others in the country, were watching the president at the time, President Trump, speak. Uh, I have been through coups before, reporting from Latin America, and as he spoke, and as we saw uh, on the camera the gathering crowds outside the Capitol, I said, this is a coup. In fact, it was a coup that did not succeed. What really drew my attention was among the people who were wreaking such violence there outside the Capitol and eventually inside were crucifixes, signs that identified these individuals as Christians, mm -hmm. and... Uh, uh, you know, it, it, depictions of Jesus with a MAGA hat on. And I said to myself, wait a minute, what is happening here? Uh, mm -hmm. I need to look into this further. At the time, I had just come off of a wonderful journalist's fellowship called the Alicia Patterson Fellowship. Uh, which, uh, which gave me a year to investigate the future of the Catholic Church. <clears throat> that was my mm -hmm. topic. And um, I had already, you might say, a big head start on where the Catholic Church was going. So, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that had been during the, the time of COVID, and I spent a lot of time interviewing on Zoom and reading, reading, reading. So, I was already jump-starting when I saw January 6th unfold. That right. is how I began to write the book. Yeah, great. And and uh, is it okay if we name a few names of some of the far-right Catholic bishops in the United States, some of whom were not believing in the vaccine or even COVID was real, much less supporting the Stop the Steal? Well, we can name them. I sure did in the book. Uh, do you want yeah, me to please. do so? <laughs> yeah. uh, please. Yeah. Please. Please tell um, our listeners the story because I want everyone to understand there's a group of people who think the current pope is satanic because he's quoting Jesus and saying we should protect the poor and immigrants and, and our earth and climate and we shouldn't be so judgmental about gay people. And the far right in a wing are like, what? You know, Satan has taken him over. And this is in a, you know, Catholic church. 
remind me of that point when I finish speaking about the COVID, which you introduced a moment Please. ago. And why was the COVID, why was the COVID important for this kind of book? Uh, because this book suggests that Christian nationalism uh, was what was on display at January 6th outside the Capitol, and that the most far right of the bishops are also Christian nationalists. Uh, and, and COVID is a an example. I use it as the very first chapter, the introduction. I call it the plague of illusion. Uh, what is Christian nationalism? Uh, it's a political ideology. Uh, it's based on the belief that God intended ours to be a Christian nation. And Christian, mm -hmm. according to uh, a, a, a very strict definition, which would not be everyone's definition, uh, why did I start with COVID? Because that to me was such a good example of one of Christian nationalism's, uh, 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 how should we say it, um, uh, of, of Christian nationalism's attempt to undermine the government. Uh, in this case, you had bishops, let's say uh, the bishop of my own city, uh, Salvador de Cordelione. Mm -hmm who comes from a hardworking Sicilian family uh, and has uh, called the, who called the COVID a kind, especially the uh, restrictions on people put out by, uh, in, in this case, the mayor of San Francisco. Uh, he called them a move against Catholics. It, there, he um, did not get the vaccination. He mm -hmm. spread lies about the vaccination, saying it didn't really protect you. He uh, served the poor breakfast unmasked, distributed Holy Communion unmasked. Uh, this is supposed to be a model for Catholics, and yet he was undermining the very government and authorities' uh, suggestions, which were based on science. Uh, there were other uh, bishops who did the same thing with regard to acting as if the restrictions uh, to pr protect us from COVID were in fact somehow anti-Catholic and anti-people of faith because they limited the number of people who might be, for instance, in a church at one time early on. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. The Supreme Court, in its earliest decisions, certainly supported these restrictions. After Amy Coney Barrett was put on the Supreme Court, and as the COVID went along, the Supreme Court began to side with uh, people like the most far-right U.S. bishops. Mm. Can I just say, I believe the Pope Francis was encouraging vaccination. Am I correct? Absolutely. Pope Francis called not getting the vaccination a, a form of suicide. He... Said, wow. Yeah. He said that the vaccination was an act of love uh, that is in the sense of charity toward our fellow mm. human beings by protecting mm. them as well. Pope Francis, before he became a priest, was a scientist. He knows science. Mm. He had an, an extremely moving and important uh, event early on in the COVID when in an empty St. Peter's Square, he walked across, rather hobbled as he has become by uh, some yes. of his medical conditions. And he uh, gave a sermon about the apostles who were on the Lake of Galilee and all worried and not having faith. And he said, this is the time 
where we need to pull together. And mm-hmm. by pulling together, we will save ourselves. So at, in other words, Pope Francis is very, very much on the side of science during the COVID. And that was one of the ways that you could see uh, early on in, in my book, for instance, this uh, kind of schism between U.S. Catholic bishops who are very far to the right as a group, the uh, mm-hmm. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. And I, I read in one of your uh, reviews of your book that uh, just the, an informational point that the Pope uh, named Robert W. McElroy a cardinal in 2022, who was considered a more moderate, uh, you know, in the bishop, so that he was undercutting the extreme right. Is, am I correct about that one? You can take it as you will, but the fact of the matter is that he did make, uh, name Bishop McElroy a, um, a cardinal. And uh, by doing so, uh, uh, he expressed a lot of faith in the kind of pastoral outreach and uh, emphasis that Cardinal McElroy has. I could say that at the same time, uh, Archbishop Gomez, who was his superior, uh, his metropolitan, uh, the Jose Gomez, the Archbishop of the largest archdiocese in the United States, Los Angeles, did not become a cardinal. Archbishop Cordelione, uh, who has a tremendous record of service in the Vatican, did not become a cardinal. The kind mm-hmm. of things that arch that uh, actually was never an archbishop. He went, I, if I'm not mistaken, straight from bishop to cardinal. Uh, the mm-hmm. kind of emphases that uh, McElroy uh, has is a a a, a, a deep reverence for the earth, for a real respect for the great encyclical of uh, the Pope, Laudato Si, which was a call to attention about climate change. Uh, McElroy was one of the two uh, um, representatives from the United States to the Amazon Synod. Uh, which uh, was examining all of this, uh, I think, four years ago now. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I would say, rather than looking at it in terms of whom he skipped over, uh, look at the kind of guy that he picked. Now, mm-hmm. these other folks that didn't get picked don't have an outstanding record, for instance, on paying attention to climate change. Arch, uh, uh, Cardinal McElroy um, believes that any anything that is not forbidden by doctrine might be, have, we might have a conversation about that. For instance, mm-hmm. women being in the diaconate. And this is something mm-hmm. that the far-right bishops don't even want to entertain. They don't want to entertain any kind of of, of further acceptance of women into the leadership or hierarchy of the church. I'm speaking broadly, but my point is that there are some who are known for opening their arms, opening the windows, as Pope uh, um, uh, John the Twenty Third said when he called Vatican II, uh, opening the windows of the church and being in the modern world. And those about whom I write in uh, playing God are not among them, and they unfortunately are the majority of U.S. bishops at this time. Wow. So I just want to tell the listeners who know that I'm Jewish, um, my understanding is Vatican II 
the Pope said the Jews were not Christ killers. This was part of God's plan and renounced, you know, the virulent anti-Semitic teachings against uh, Jewish people. Am I right? That certainly was the work, part of the work of Vatican II. And you said the Pope said it. No, the Pope surely signed off on it. But it was, it was a synod of bishops from all over the world. And they said, you know, we, you know one of the reasons that, uh, now I don't go into this in the, in the book, but it, it's, it's, it's probably something that could come up for discussion sooner or later. One of the reasons for Vatican II was, since you brought it up, uh, uh, the fact that you're Jewish, is that after uh, the Second World War, people of faith uh, having seen what happened there, having seen the Holocaust, having seen the incredible number of people who died on the battlefield, said, what did we do wrong by not being able to prevent this? So, mm, and, I, and I want to just add, if I may interrupt for a second, just say my research for my book, The Cult of Trump, it was my understanding that Father Coughlin, who had 30 million followers and was a Nazi sympathizer, was a virulent anti-Semite. So there was some responsibility, perhaps, that the Catholic Church felt to correct the record. Right. Uh, I think am I absolutely. Not only the Catholic Church, but all people of faith, some of the most important. Uh, contributions to Vatican II were from people of other other faith backgrounds. This is ecumen ecumenism. This is reaching out right. uh, to people of other faith sets. And, and it, it, even this Pope has reached out to Muslims, which is a big point in this, what I call yes. a schism or a brewing schism given that so many U.S. Yeah. bishops have gone on record as being Islamophobic. At, at, mm. at any rate, uh, the, the, the Second Vatican Council, as you say, certainly made <laughs> long-awaited leaps, um, and, and that was one of them, what you just described, Steve. Great. So let's go back to January 6th, Stop the Steal, and Christian nationalism, and those. Um, I guess I want to ask you, too, about charismatic Catholics who are part of this Christian nationalism, you know, phenomenon, who, you know, kind of got together with the Manhattan Declaration and said, we're going to go after women's right to choose around health care, gay rights, and wanting to increase religious freedom to put forth their point of view and undercut anyone else. Um, among the 70 million comments? Catholics, I'm, I'm sorry, among the 70 million Catholics are many, not a majority. The majority of Catholics by all polls are very pro-Francis, something like 80%. But there mm -hmm. is a loud and very active, and I must say, very well-funded minority among the Catholics who uh, uh, stand on all these points that, that you mentioned. Um, a very patriarchal view of what faith ought to be uh, and a uh, uh, abortion as the preeminent issue among people of faith, among Catholics. In fact, mm -hmm. the United States Conference of Bishop says in its policy statements, preeminent. Pope Francis believes that not one life issue ought to be preeminent over the others. Care for the poor, euthanasia, capital punishment, all of these are life issues. Care for the earth, climate change, these are pro-life issues. Not one is preeminent over the others. Very this, interesting, very yeah. useful. Please continue. Yeah. 
No, uh, uh, I, I, I think the point that I want to make with this um, uh, business of certain Catholics being, for instance, traditionalist, traditionalist Catholics would, well, they do, they want the Latin mass back. Vatican II said, mm. look, let's worship in languages that are our own so that those who know Latin, I mean, I know Latin. <laughs> I studied it for five years, but mm -hmm. I just as soon have my Catholic services in English or in Spanish if I'm abroad um, because mm -hmm. it's more human. It doesn't separate me from the celebrant. And it is showing me that my faith is part of the modern world. That is not what the traditionalists, for instance, uh, my own Archbishop Cordelione, and when I uh, mention him, I don't mean to say that there aren't dozens of others. He just happens to be in my backyard or I happen to be in his backyard. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, these um, uh, uh, groups that, that you're speaking of within the church are very supportive of the most far right, excuse me, far right of the bishops in the mm -hmm. Catholic conference. And this is, we're talking mm -hmm. about 270 uh, mostly white men, uh, most of them middle-aged or beyond middle age. Nothing wrong with being a white man past middle age, but that's not the face mm -hmm. of the church in the United States. It's certainly not the face of the church around the world. One important thing that Pope Francis has done is to make sure that women are going to be included in an upcoming synod. That is, synod is usually is, is defined as a, um, a, 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 a meeting of the, of the bishops of the world. But he has right. made sure that a certain number of women are going to be voting members at this upcoming synod, which is meant to look at the aspirations and even criticisms of present-day Catholics about the church and define its mission for the future. Yeah, that's astounding. Like so many progressive steps he's taking. Yes, it, it is. Uh, I mean, it's not as if the time hasn't come for it. Um, right, but, <laughs> totally. But um, yes. Long past due. Right, and he's a man of eighty-four. He's a man of eighty-four, and it's not at all clear that uh, his view of the world and his view of the church, uh, his view of the world as um, excuse me, his view of the church as the people of God, uh, which mm -hmm. is right out of Vatican II. It's not uh, entirely clear that that will continue. Uh, if 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 he leaves us either by resignation or in death, uh, right. it's certainly uh, not clear that he will have enough time to appoint enough bishops to kind of uh, what I would call right the ship of the U.S. Hmm. Church, because the majority uh, just elected its uh, new president for the next three years, which will take us through the U.S. elections uh, for mm -hmm. president in 24. And the mm -hmm. person that they elected is a paradigm of the kind of right-wing clerics that I talk about throughout my book. Oh, that's very concerning. I can't help but mention uh, funding from non-Catholics to the far right, including the Koch brothers and others who have just an agenda to try to um, emasculate, or maybe that's not the right word, the United States government's power of separation of church and state. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the Koch brothers and other... Um, uh, very politicized donors uh, completely see 
that the right-wing Catholics have the same agenda, and that is to uh, really uh, eliminate this curtain between church and state. Uh, mm -hmm. The Catholics who take the example of um, Tim Bush, who is a billionaire from Southern California, who started something called the Napa Institute, where uh, in the wine country every summer, uh, 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 really big shot bishops and big shot leaders of various uh, very conservative apostolates. Uh, that means um, groups within the church who have a certain vision of, um, mm -hmm. for instance, uh, with youth, you know, um, uh, they have a certain vision of what youth uh, uh, Christianity ought to be, and it's very, very uh, uh, right-wing. That's an apostolate. At any rate, mm -hmm. uh, this is a breeding ground for uh, many of these apostolates, this Napa Institute. And mm -hmm. Tim Bush is uh, also a business partner with uh, uh, Charles Koch on various projects. And together, mm. they donated to a new business school at the um, uh, Catholic University of America, which is the only pontifical university in the United States. That means it, it answers directly to the Vatican. And so now we mm. have a business school there on this Catholic campus, which um, uh, is meant to, as they have said themselves, Koch and, and Bush, kind of give the Catholic version of capitalism and to show how they can work together. Well, the Pope is totally against unfettered capitalism, unregulated capitalism of the kind that we can believe that this business school is meant to um, promote. You know, Koch himself has uh, funded more than 40 Catholic uh, universities and, co and colleges. Uh, and with that funding comes a certain point of view, libertarian, unregulated right. capitalism. This is something that Pope Francis is not behind. <laughs> right. And uh, I read a book about the Coke uh, enter enterprises that described it as a corporate cult, frankly. Uh, Ayn Rand is like, uh, you know, selfishness is good and altruism is evil. Ideology uh, is in there. You know, a version of greed is good, you know, and whoever has more money wins or whoever has more power wins. And the Coke, uh, and, and, you know, entities are pushing free speech, but it turns out to be the freedom to discriminate, you know, and uh, against, again, uh, any government regulation around oil and, and, and fossil fuels, which uh, is a source of a lot of their, uh, their, their money and power. Not to mention how they screwed the indigenous people with their oil stuff and the pollution that the Cokes did to get around it. There's a very dirty um, history that people need to understand where the money is coming from for these, uh, these political enterprises to manipulate minds. Absolutely. Um, you know, the Council for National Policy about which uh, Ann Nelson writes so well in the Shadow Network yes. uh, does make a reader uh, uh, think about cult-like <laughs> aspects, the secret meetings they hold, um, the uh, clandestine manner in which they seem to communicate. And if you read yes. um, some of, or, or listen to some of the tapes that have been kind of smuggled out of the um, uh, meetings uh, yes. of, the, of, of the Kochs and the, and the others in the Council for National Policy, for instance, there, there is a, a um, 
a, a kind of, of language that is used that is very, very compelling that one hears often in, in religious settings, in faith mm-hmm. settings. Um, yeah. And uh, it, 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 this communication uh, is very difficult to pin down among all of these various groups. I have a whiteboard the size of this bookcase behind me. You can't see it, it's huge. And Mm -hmm. on it, at the beginning of this, I attempted to uh, make connections among all of the organizations that Leonard Leo, uh, Mm -hmm. one of the founders of the Federalist Society and uh, someone I call the court whisperer, for his advice given Mm -hmm. to presidents, Republican presidents, about whom to nominate to the Supreme Court, uh, especially Mm -hmm. President Trump. Um, And do you know, by the end, uh, and I hadn't even gotten them all, I couldn't even tell which was which because these webs of of dark money organizations are so complex and intertwined that they make it very difficult for an outsider, a journalist like myself, to penetrate. But you can come up with a bottom line, which is that dark money is out there. It's supporting everything from voter suppression to anti-woman legislation to Islamophobia, many of the groups are funded by the same people. And many of them... And and I I just want to add, it's not just U.S. businesses and such. Foreign governments who want to undermine America can be funding a lot of these through these front organizations. And um, Mary Jo, I don't know if you know my story, but I got interested in the issue of cults because of my recruitment into the moon cult in 1974, where I was indoctrinated to believe democracy was satanic and we needed to infiltrate the US government and make it a theocracy and destroy the separation. And that in fact, the Moonies were founding people of the Council for National Policy. And it was one of the council's people that became the founding editor of the Mooney newspaper, the Washington Times. So for me, my getting out of the Moonies and realizing, oh, I became a fascist and oh my God, who was I involved with? Who are all these people? Not only is Moon not the Messiah, you know, and we're not going to build the kingdom of heaven. This is a fascist who uh, wants to destroy anyone who doesn't agree with what they're teaching. Well, you certainly come from the inside um, and uh, uh, carry a great deal of authority on the subject because of it. But, you know, I didn't even go into the possibilities of foreign support, but I can say that we aren't going to know why because of legislation like um, uh, the Supreme Court, um, the actual case name is- Citizens United, yeah. Well, Citizens United for sure. But also there's a California law that said that donors needed to be identified to nonprofits. Long story short, uh, Charles Koch's organization and Tom Monahan, the pizza king, founder of Domino's, one of the uh, most right-wing Catholic uh, 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 promoters of traditional Catholicism out there, got together and brought a case in the California courts, where most of the um, most of this money is in, in is in is in California, and the Supreme Court decided that indeed donors could remain anonymous. So Mm -hmm. we do not even know where this money is coming from. Uh, We we have really good guesses by seeing who's supporting the court cases, who who are writing 
the uh, amicus briefs. Uh, Amicus briefs to try to convince one justice or another used to be rare. I think there were 12 or 13 per case up until a certain uh, point at the um, Dobbs case, which overturned Roe, there were 140 amicus briefs. It's like wow. every every wanted everybody wanted to put their two cents in and to go on record as um, mm-hmm. uh, being for or against that uh, that decision. Right. Uh, it, this this whole point was was uh, my, the whole point. I think that we were making here is that we're not going to know about foreign governments or about even many uh, individuals uh, supporting these uh, various nefarious uh, causes because uh, the money is dark, as Jane Meyer, um, uh, Jane Mayer uh, beautifully- uh, uh, Right, wrote uh, the book. Wrote the dark book. Money. Dark Money. <laughs> but we do yeah. know that Putin spent $100 million with the Washington DC PR firm over 10 years. We do know- he slipped an agent into the NRA to push how we need more assault rifles because, of course, Putin would love for Americans to kill each other, as is we're witnessing daily uh, acts of mass violence. So for sure, we know Putin's spending a lot of money. Uh, the Saudis or the Middle Eastern oil in, you know, Probably, but we don't know that for a fact. But let's come back to the Catholic Church, the fact that you indicate that most American Catholics like the current pope, like the current pope's policies, and yet these extremist American bishops are wanting to push their agenda. And and what can we do? Well... Inform ourselves, <laughs> read. Right. Yes. And um, dare I say, pray. <laughs> and- you can say pray with me. I, I honestly, I pray too because we need some something bigger than us to help. Right. Because and, and- humans are making a mess of things. <laughs> and um, participate. Jump in. Find a corner of the issue that you feel passionate about, whether mm. it's it's climate change, whether it's women's rights within the church, whether it's um, transgender and gay rights, because these are all on the block with the mm. most traditionalist Catholics. And these are issues worth fighting for. Uh, I I know everybody says participate, but it's really true. Start small, start small if you want, but inform inform yourself. Uh, yeah, inform and- yourself, and then start with your family and friends. Don't just go on the internet to strangers, but start local and exactly. inform yourself and connect exactly. with others who are activists. With regard to and we Catholics. we need to vote too. Getting enrolling people into voting is going to be crucial for the presidential Absolutely. election. I, I think also with regard to Catholics, you know, you put money in that collection basket every Sunday or make other kinds of donations. I I think we have a right to ask. Um, where the money goes, where is our diocese investing? Uh, Mm. um, Okay, everybody needs buildings, everybody needs schools. These are all all proper expenditures. And uh, we need to invest money in order to make more money. We have responsibilities, let's say, that the bishops have responsibilities toward the the, the people they employ. Um, priests have to be paid, little as it is. Nuns have to be taken care of in their old age. Um, yep. And so investments are what make money for that. Find out where it goes. The, the uh, Vatican says we should be divesting 
from fossil fuels and from destructive industries, let's say clear-cut logging in the Amazon or in Alaska or in somewhere else in the United States. Find out if our uh, parishes or, or more properly our diocese have investments in these kind of entities. Good uh, point all. Money really matters. Follow the money. <laughs> follow the follow money. Follow the money. That's follow what the journalists money. always say. <laughs> follow the money. <laughs> That's Can right. we go back, please, to the Stop the Steal rally and Bishop Strickland and Vagano and, you know, more information yes. for my listeners, please. Yeah. Um, the night before the Stop the Steal rally, uh, there was something called the Jericho March, uh, the name coming from the incident in the um, Old Testament where uh, uh, the walls of Jericho, Jericho was surrounded and it, they brought the walls down and people, thousands, uh, walked around the Supreme Court uh, in a threatening manner. And mm -hmm. among the many, and, and this was a Christian nationalist event, um, right. and among those who delivered uh, uh, comments, you know, um, kind of we're with you uh, presentations yeah. were the former um, papal envoy to the United States, Vigano, who has suggested that the Pope needs to resign uh, that uh, he isn't really a pope, that uh, he's a false pope. And this is something, by the way, th when he said that, that something like a, a dozen or 20, I have to look at my own book, um, U.S. bishops um, uh, came on board with kind of a character um, uh uh, oh, you know, saying that this man was a positive character, that Vigano was was trustworthy and spoke from the heart and everything else. And they have never retracted that. So Vigano spoke and also um, uh, uh, Strickland from Tyler, Texas. And, and Strickland is extreme. He is extreme in his views on everything from the COVID vaccine to transgender rights and a, a big, uh, uh, he, I profile these people not to concentrate on the most extreme, but to suggest mm -hmm. that they are among the bishops whose who, their brother bishops do not say anything about it, nor do they give the kind of witness that will out, you might say, um, speak to a, a greater volume than these extremists. Um, yeah, silence is a message, right? If you don't criticize when silence is a message. You know, as Catholics, uh, we grow up thinking. There's this kind of sin, there's this kind of sin, and there's uh, mortal sins and venal sins. And there are sins of commission and sins of omission. And mm -hmm. I believe that the bishops are guilty of sins of omission by not mm -hmm. standing against this kind of calumny against the Pope, by not standing up in a big way against this wave of voter suppression laws that mm. have come up since um, uh, just, just in the last few years, uh, right. and especially since, uh, uh, since January 6th. Now, the Catholic Church has had a lot of, you could call them missteps, or you can call them discrimination against the Black among among us, among the mm -hmm. black Catholics. But um, this voter suppression and not coming out against it, to me, 
is is going to go down in church history as one of the grave sins of omission. Mm. Um, and so, uh, in answer to your question about Strickland and Vigano, and not to mention Burke, um, who is uh, uh, one of the greatest Islamophobes in the world, and he's a cardinal of the Catholic Church, uh, hmm. a, a U.S. Uh, church, um, these extremists have their shadows among the other bishops. They have people who um, go kind of in that direction, but maybe not with all the panoply and the and the attention that these folks get. But mm-hmm. the fact that they do not step out and speak truth to power, to me, is is one of the grave sins of the church today. Yes. Isn't Michael Flynn, wasn't he raised Catholic or am I misremembering? Oh, yes, no, he's part of, he's part of the laity um, that I mentioned in here, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a, 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 an extremist, um, a right-wing extremist. Yes. Um, and he Steve wants Bannon, civil war in the streets. He, he you know, he, he, he thinks that Biden and the Democrats are killing children and are pedophiles and other kinds of QAnon well, and other crazy stuff. I do I go into some detail about the influence of QAnon uh, among this, uh, among the uh, uh, very, very right wing Catholics and um, and bishops. Also, sad to say. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Bannon, by the way, is another layman. Uh, who, whom you could count uh, in the bailiwick with uh, uh, with Michael Flynn, uh, laymen who are Catholics support this Christian nationalism of the far right mm-hmm. bishops. Mm-hmm. People like mm-hmm. Leonard Leo, people like Tim Bush. People like was Tom Tim Push Martin the guy Martin. who gave a billion dollars to Leonard Leo recently? No, there was some was, billionaire uh, that yeah, uh, the millionaire, the billionaire who gave it uh, most openly now because apparently there have been donations in the past was um, Said Barre, um, who uh, I think is Jewish. I could be wrong, but he has. I think um, Ann Nelson mentioned she thought he was Jewish, which I, I think he me. is, and I, I, I have it. Uh, it's not in the book, but Saeed Barre is in the book, and he has uh, now donated one point six billion through some machinations to Leonard Leo, who has decided that what the Federalist Society did for judges and turning around really the character of the bench uh, for law, he will now be able to do with media and education. That is by- Oh boy. Yeah, by organizing. I have a chapter called Ministry of Propaganda, which speaks to the way the Catholic press was taken over beginning in, probably the, the the 90s with the neocons and the theocons, uh, some of whom, like George Weigel, are still operating. And um, the, uh, the press is another target now of uh, Leonard Leo and these extreme right-wing Catholics, as is education. And they've got a lot of help from the Catholic governor of uh of florida DeSantis. <laughs> yeah uh very concerning for the future of our country and i guess i wanted to ask you because it appears to me that a lot of catholics moved away from catholicism and the catholic church into the new apostolic reformation you know, uh, Pentecostal, you know, speaking in tongues thing where they're following individuals who claim to speak directly to God 
Can you comment on that, please? Catholics who are disaffected have various exit ramps. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are exit ramps into a more inclusive Catholicism. Uh, for instance, there are now some 220 ordained women priests uh, who celebrate uh, Mass and the sacraments. Uh, they don't recognize their bishops, but they recognize the Pope. Mm -hmm. Others, mm -hmm, Others have taken the exit ramp toward Pentecostalism uh, and uh, uh, stopping on the way many uh, in the in the charismatic practice, but not all, because charismatic practice also is embraced by the mainstream of, of Catholicism. Um, but what is concerning to especially the right-wing moneyed Catholics, but not only them, are is the exit ramp that just goes out into not being a person of faith at all. And yeah. that's and that seems to be where many Catholics are going now. Uh, because of this uh lack of of, of identification with what they see as the church, which is what the U.S. bishops are presenting as the church, which is not the church. And unless, right. unless we see the U.S. bishops as anomalous, which they are when you look at the conferences of bishops in other countries, unless we see them mm -hmm. as an aberration, and something very, very American of our age, then, then we will have more Catholics leaving, and uh, and many of them floundering, because yeah. having grown up Catholic or having once believed in Catholicism, it's hard to shake it. <laughs> Mm. It, it's it, it's hard to shake it. Um, uh, the theologian Mary Daly once said, "You can never be an ex-Catholic. You can mm. uh, you can be a graduate Catholic, <laughs> but there's something in you that uh, that is always Catholic once you are one." And my suggestion is to folks who are thinking about going on these exit ramps is. Stay on the freeway, and let's all go together. And mm. let's, um, uh, yeah, is uh, because it's it, it's a hard journey, but I think it's a it's a journey worth making. Yeah, and you know, a lot of the extremists are pushing hate and fear of the other, and. We're trying to do love and compassion and humility and the opposite of, you know, look at my fancy watch or my car. I'm a better person than you because I have an expensive car or something. Yes. Fear of the other is you hit it on the you hit it on the head. Fear of gay people, fear of transgender people. Fear of Muslims, and you know Pope Pope John the Twenty Third's great great line: "Be not afraid," needs to come back into everyday Catholic patois. Right. So there needs to be a lot more messaging to counter the right wing propagandizing. Uh, it seems to me, and that's one reason why I wanted to interview you to get, give, help you have a little more exposure to folks because um, it's going to take a village. It's going to take a lot of good people coming together with a vision based on real values uh, 
and not just fear and not just greed and money. Um, but I also, I want to ask you about Opus Dei. We're, 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 we're coming towards the end of our time together, but I wrote about Opus Dei and the cult of Trump, and it seemed to me like they were bad players uh, in the cult of Trump. Um, comments? I Opus Dei uh, is not a big part of the 1.3 billion Catholics on the earth. They number, right. they number 80,000. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you from having lived in Latin America, where they are a very powerful force, that many of those thousands are in extremely important positions, just as they are in the United States, uh, the Archbishop of Los Angeles that I mentioned uh, mm -hmm. is is Opus Dei. It's mm -hmm. a it's an extremely strict and patriarchal view of faith, and it's. In the individuals, for instance, who congregate in around the Opus Dei headquarters, the information center in Washington, D.C., right. mm -hmm. are a, a hit list of some of the most powerful people in Washington. Uh, William Barr, uh, Chip Loney, yes. the, um, uh, the advisor to President Trump. Uh, I, I, I can't Leo name. is on the advisory board too, I believe. Sure. Yeah, sure. And uh, so Opus Dei is a, um, uh, is, is a factor, is mm -hmm. a factor in the, um, uh, I, I would say the ultra-right uh, Catholic Church in the United States, kind of outsized factor in that um, many of its adherents are in very important, um, very yeah, important money and power positions. Yeah, they yeah. got, they got placed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really upsetting. I did want to uh, mention to my listeners, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but there is a trafficking case on behalf of over 40 ex-members of Opus Dei um, for trafficking them, where women were promised an education and they were slave labor and never got paid and were not given, uh, you know, due diligence. So there's an actual case happening right now. I believe the lead lawyer is in Argentina, Sebastian Sal is his name. Um, but I, I guess I'm, I'm, in, I, 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 I'm interested, is there anything the Pope or the, the mainstream Catholic Church can do to investigate any of these right-wing people to find out if maybe they've been co-opted by bad actors uh, financially or, or you know, through blackmail or anything like that? Is there such a possibility? Well, the Vatican, the Vatican is investigating its own bank, but uh -huh. they don't have a department or a commission that, that investigates bad actors. Um, mm. I think uh, the church has other ways of uh, weeding out and disciplining uh, 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 those who most betray the faith, but mm -hmm. What we're talking about, uh, for instance, in my book and, and in the, the kind of folks you're talking about, are, are legitimate members of the church uh, who may be taking it in directions that Vatican II did not want or envision and that most right. Catholics do not want or envision. And this is not just a problem for Catholics. 
It's a problem in our case for the United States because this is one of the most powerful reactionary forces in the country. They happen to be in bishops' robes, but the influence that they have is tremendous. And that's why not just Catholics, but I think everybody needs to pay attention. Yeah. And am I incorrect to assume that they don't like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, even though they're Catholics, because they don't agree with their some of their political stances? As I said, the bishops believe that abortion is the preeminent issue for the church. Mm. This is not what the Pope says, but they say that. Even, of course, the Pope's against right. abortion. But as I explained, it's a life issue that needs to be seen along with other pro-life issues. But because yes. they are so politicized from about, from about the 90s on, the Catholic Conference of Bishops has become so politicized that it has come to ally itself with the most radical parts of the Republican Party, which has put them on the side of people like Trump and has put them in a position of trying to undermine people like Nancy Pelosi, who, according to my uh, bishop here, cannot receive communion in the diocese, and um, uh, Joe Biden, whom they tried to forbid uh, communion to after he was elected. And it was only with a, a, a slap down that came directly from the Vatican that said, no, you can't do that, that prevented them from forbidding Biden from receiving communion. Why? Because he believes in a woman's right to choose. Right. Yeah. So, um, really important book. It's called Playing God, American Catholic Bishops and the Far Right. Uh, one more uh, uh, acknowledgement of the current um, papal uh, presence is the renunciation of the doctrine of discovery, which is something I learned about when I was researching the residential school uh, horrors in Canada, uh, applying my model of brainwashing to the residential schools. I had never heard of the doctrine of discovery, which back, I think it was the 15th century, a pope said, you know, recruit them or kill them. You know, take their land, take their resources, make the children, you know, good Christians, or, you know, they're not valid. And it was wonderful, I think, that that was renounced officially. Yes, it was um, the sword was and the cross. The sword and the cross were the instruments of colonization. And this is one of the things that Vatican II stood against, the fact that that the church should not be involved in the state and that mm -hmm. people ought to be free. And this was really radical. Uh, mm. to worship or not in their own ways. And I could go on about the Pope's respect for indigeneity, and that was one of the forces behind his Laudato Si encyclical. He really, ex mm -hmm. really respects indigenous spirituality, which is anathema to right-wing bishops. And I have a whole chapter in there in this book that speaks to this. And it's, it's, it's one of the core differences with the Pope and some of the bishops in the United States. And I'm gonna be myself and just say, I blame the Kochs and the F Putins <laughs> and the fossil fuel people influencing the bishops and not the they were just thinking about it on their own and said, "Yeah, let's do oil, uh, and let's and, and yeah, let's not to, side with of, indigenous rights." There's a lot of guilt to go around. <laughs> yeah. 
So Mary Jo McConaughey, last words, you sum it up and send us off. And I uh, hope people will pick up your book and educate themselves and educate their family and friends. And um, it's going to take a village. It's going to take a lot of us speaking up, especially, I believe, people of faith, uh, Catholics, uh, Christians of, of every stripe to say, we got to come back to love. And we got to stop emphasizing fear and 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 hatred of the other, because uh, my this is my faith. Love is stronger than, than mind control. And even though I've counseled people in Opus Day as a cult, as a brainwashing cult, and I did three blogs when when Barrett was nominated for the Supreme Court about the people of praise as a cult group that practices control of behavior, information, thought, and emotions to make people dependent and obedient. So in the end, I think we need a legal definition for brainwashing and mind control that's based in law and based in human rights. Well, you said it all. It's a tough journey, but it's one, uh, <laughs> well, but it's one worth making. Well, I want to thank you so much for your research. And and again, the book is Playing God. And there are too many people playing God or saying, God spoke to me and said Trump won the election, so therefore it doesn't matter what all the facts are. Or, you know, God told me COVID isn't real, so therefore I don't need to mask. Or, yeah, let's, be, let's have a violent coup and uh, insert our will on everybody else. Uh, I, I say and you say, no, 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 please. No. Thank you. And Let's yes, be and, and yes, to, and yes, a bit. it's not just all about no, it's yes to, uh, to faith. And, and it's yes to expressing faith and uh, keeping our arms open. Yeah, and knowing God works through people too. It's not yeah. just, you know, in a prayer, but, you know, in the, the, when, when the doctor's giving you a vaccination that can save your life, God's, I believe, God's working through that doctor and through the people who helped to uh, develop the vaccine. So, yeah. Well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. And, and thank you Great. for your work. And, uh, and, and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at CultExpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.